Welcome to Morning Ireland Extra with me, Lisa Pereira. Every day, our reporters gather material for stories that we then broadcast on our daily Morning Ireland radio programme. This podcast brings you deeper into those stories. Our guests still with us from Morning Ireland, Sam McConkey is Associate Professor and Head of the Department of International Health and Tropical Medicine at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. He's also a consultant in infectious diseases at Beaumont Hospital. Dr Sarah Doyle is a consultant in public health medicine at the HSC and Dr Ray Wally is a GP and a former president of the IMO. Before I get back to some of our listeners' questions, and some of them did ask about treatment, and Dr Ray Wally, you were were answering this question just before we left uh, listeners on RT Radio 1. Uh, the case in Belfast, when her test was confirmed positive, she was treated at home rather than being treated in the isolation unit at the Royal Victoria Hospital. Would this be the case for everybody? Do you have to go to hospital to be treated or will you be treated at home? No, um, on the basis that she's come from a skiing hall, I understand, basically she's likely to be fit and healthy. Um, there's a 20% infection rate um, of people and there's a, a majority of the people, 80%, have mild symptoms. Uh, so in the majority of those cases, they're going to be fit and well and be able to uh, be treated at home, be isolated, self-isolated. There's a lot of advice in regard to that on hsc.ie. And again, when you're dealing with that, you're trying to maintain your own good immune system. So eating well, drinking well, uh, making sure you're taking antipyretics, paracetamol, ibuprofen, um, getting guidance from the public health people, getting guidance from your general practitioner. There is no specific antiviral treatment for coronavirus, but the greater majority of people will not need any specific treatment. So at what point would a patient need to go to hospital and what would happen to them then? Well, they, I, I'm presuming they will be monitored by the public health people and their general practitioner and clinically you will be deciding on the basis of assessing them the same way you would assess any other patient. So an assessment obviously would be First of all, listening to the patient on the basis of their symptoms. Uh, if they're symptomatically stable and they're not exhibiting any other problems, you will be certainly containing them at home. If something happens like blood pressure issues, pulse issues. Just just on the side, I, I may have missed what you said. In, in, say, for example, that you're the GP. Would you be going to the house to see them? Possibly. Again, what you're going to be doing is liaising with the public health doctors because there may be public health involvement there. So you'll be seeking guidance on the basis of we're dealing with this for the first time, but we don't see it going to be any different than any other virus that we've dealt with before. So the greater majority of people will not be referred to hospital. The greater majority of people will be kept at home and dealt with at home. And Dr. Sarah Doyle, uh, when somebody does have to go to hospital, if, if they become unwell to the point where it can't be treated at home anymore, what happens then? Okay, well, just to say that um, we're at the early stages of managing this this disease in Ireland. So we're at a containment phase and for the the early cases in the Republic of Ireland, um, we will be aiming to manage patients in hospital with full infection prevention control um, precautions. What's that mean? So what that means is that they will be admitted to an, a room, an isolation room, and they will be managed with what are called droplet precautions. But what that means is wearing a mask, wearing goggles, gloves and a gown. I mean, all healthcare professionals would be very well versed in the use of these precautions. And, and what treatment would they receive? So they will receive supportive treatment. 
So there is no specific treatment for um, novel coronavirus, but obviously there are many supportive treatments that can be given while the patient patient uses their own kind of immunological system to fight it. Now, Sam would be better placed to comment on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So the, the, the Chinese have published the data from 45,000 cases of coronavirus that have happened in China. So we have some idea of what actually happened. Yes. The vast majority of the, the, the sick people, as I said, 80, 80% have just mild symptoms, but 20% get, get sick. And that sickness is, is respiratory. It's lung failure. It's it's requiring oxygen. So it would be manifested by uh, pulse oximetry. The SATS monitors go low. People are pulse short Pulse oximetry breath. is where you get something put in your finger to show how much oxygen it's the little, your blood, li- it, yes. little red light that uh, tells you how much oxygen's in okay. your blood. If the oxygen is even a little bit low, then we'd be giving oxygen by nasal prongs, okay. as, as many people have seen. Yes. If that's not adequate, then there, there are things called venturi masks that can give 24, 28, 30% oxygen. Then there's a, a non-rebreather mask uh, to escalate. We can escalate that more with uh, non-invasive ventilation, where there's a rather tight mask goes on and yes. it actually helps to people to breathe, called nippy or BiPAP. If, if, that, if the person is still struggling to breathe or getting tired, then we have very good technology in Ireland to, to put in a, a cuffed endotracheal tube, a tube into the trachea, and have a machine blow oxygen into the lungs. Yes. And we, we actually do this, you know, many, many people in Ireland are having this at, at any one time during an operation and in intensive cares all over Ireland for other conditions. So this is not some new technology. We, we can support people through respiratory failure very, very well. That level of, of, of intensive intervention when there is a failure of the lungs in China, that has proved to be a problem as there have been more and more cases that they're, well, frankly, they're running out of equipment to do that. Yeah. Is there a danger that could happen here? Yes, uh, certainly we, we have a, a fixed capacity to to do respiratory uh, ventilation and intensive care in Ireland. There are things that we could do to expand that. For example, uh, probably in the face of a very extensive coronavirus infection, a lot of elective surgery would actually stop. So no one's going to want to go into a hospital, have your hip done electively when you can wait a few months uh, if in the middle of this uh, coronavirus if it extends. So the ventilators in the operating rooms could then be used to supplement our ability to ventilate people uh, who need it for, for coronavirus. Similarly, it's possible even, you know, private hospitals, sanitary sports clinic, CAP and so on, might actually be uh, requested to, to help. They've okay. got really good intensivists, really good nieces there and really good ventilators. So we actually have a lot of uh, sort of surge capacity, if you like. Now, of course, if that succeeded, then what do you do then? Uh, well, at the at, there are there are ways of dealing with that. Uh, when this happened uh, in the past in Denmark, they had medical students bagging people. So I know that's extreme, but there are ways of, of increasing. You can do it manually. So uh, okay. with a human being, you can do it manually without a machine. Sarah? So just if I may come in there, so again to say we're at the very early stages and we've had a case on the island, but there's still no circulating um, virus in Ireland at the moment. But we anticipate that that might happen. But that's a a really important part of our strategy is delay, it's containment and delay. So to identify cases very early and to prevent onward transmission, to identify contacts, to give them the advice so we don't have sustained transmission. And part part of the reason for that, obviously, is to minimise the impact, but also to minimise the impact on the health service so that we can manage capacity. Let's go back to the, as you said, the, the, the containment phase, which is how... Uh, we're trying to manage the virus at the moment. A number of people who had asked questions about, for example, are, are schools putting in 
hygiene education around the coronavirus? How are creches, primary and secondary schools managing this at the moment? Um, anybody listening who has small children, uh, including those who are big enough to have gone to school at the moment, will know how difficult it is to get to wash, to wash their hands at the best of times. And even when they do, it can last about three seconds. How is this going to work in schools? Are, are, are we looking at doing that more intensively? Yes, yeah, so we have had um, contacts, you know, regionally with um, our schools and third level institutions, but also with the Department of Education and the Department of Education has sent out, I think most parents will have received text messages from their schools already advising them about uh, the risk from um, novel coronavirus and to go to hse.ie for advice. I mean, I suppose the advice in terms of prevention is the same at this phase as it will be through all the phases, washing your hands, is a really serious and important prevention measure and everybody needs to wash their hands and the other thing I would say appeal to people particularly as we are likely to move into the next phase is if you're ill you need to stay at home to protect others particularly those who are vulnerable. Sam? I'd like to reassure the listeners that the data from China is showing that school people of school age under 10 and under 20 very rarely get this infection and there I believe have been no deaths in, in, in China from their numbers of 45,000 cases in children can, under 10. Can you just reiterate that because often with any virus or indeed any contagious illness we're told that the most vulnerable are people who are very young and very old so That's so not the case here, is it? From, from the very large data set from China, it appears that there are essentially no or very low mortality in, small, in people under 20. So this, this is not an illness that we should fear for our children. Now they may and, and the children, to be fair, are very fearful of themselves. Yes, children, well, children are yeah, hearing the yeah. headlines themselves and you know yeah. they only have to walk into a shop and see killer virus it's on their phones yeah. they're, they're, they're scared so of the service. children are fine the data coming out of China is, to, is very reassuring about people under 20 surviving this very well so I, I think that's a really important piece of evidence that we've got out of China and it's been very reassuring people are asking Ray, Ray Wally questions about um, whether they should avoid using cash if they can to, uh, to uh, use contactless payments they're wondering should they be using gloves when they're on public transport? People are wondering what sort of precautions they can take when they're going about their everyday lives. Well, repeating what Sarah said, the most important thing here is hygiene, hand hygiene, repeatedly washing your hands, washing your hands when they're dirty, washing your hands after the toilet, washing your hands during uh, during preparation of food, before preparation of food, after preparation of food, and then cough etiquette in regard to if you're coughing, if you have a, a, a cough, that you're coughing into your elbow or using single-use tissues. So if you maintain all of that sort of hand hygiene or cough etiquette, you can use paper money, but you obviously you basically wash your hands. Ray, another question here. Uh, my producer, Lisa Prayer, has, has reminded me of this because it did come in from, from one listener and we had, had a few like this. All this talk is scaring me because I suffer from OCD, anxiety and depression. It's beginning to affect my mood and sleep. You, you know, turn on programmes like us, look at your phone, read the newspaper. It, it, it's kind of hard to avoid this news at the moment. Sure, and what I'd emphasise to those people is, one, the best person to deal with them is their own general practitioner, they'll know them. But equally, you know, what we're talking about is is keeping to your routines, making sure you get a good night's sleep, making sure you're eating well, drinking well, making sure that you exercise, making sure you're talking to friends and practising all the things we're doing within reason. Obviously, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, things like that, and dealing with your specific GP who knows you best. Sarah, here's a novel one for you. We have quite a few people asking this question. Should people who receive communion via their mouth defer to receiving in the hand during this season? 
you know, I think this one also comes back to washing your hands, you know, and again, you know, if everybody is washing their hands and if the priest is washing his hands, um, receiving communion by hand is okay. Uh, A lot of people asking about hand sanitizers, which uh, you can frequently buy uh, in chemists and in supermarkets, but good luck trying to find them at the moment. Um, Do you need to have an alcohol-based gel or an alcohol-based wash to be able to, to thoroughly wash your hands at the moment? No, you can use soap and water. Um, Can you make up your own type of hand sanitizer? I think in theory that is um, possible. It's isopropyl alcohol is the um, active ingredient, but I think that in practice that might be difficult. Equally, some people trying to buy masks, they're impossible to find at the moment. I, I wouldn't recommend the general public walking down O'Connell Street to be wearing a mask. I think that's not the sensible thing to be doing. Masks are a technical tool for healthcare workers and for people who are either suspected to have coronavirus or, or else who, who do have coronavirus. So, Because every visual depiction of this story is somebody... It became particularly prominent in China to see people wearing masks yeah. when the illness broke yeah. out. I, I don't advocate that. I think that's not the response. Uh, uh, you know... I've I've two masks in the boot of the car, but they're actually for cleaning the bottom of a boat. They're not for coronavirus at all. Um, Ray Wally, I'll come back to you. This is asking about uh, a listener asking what to do if you, if you get the virus in in the initial stages. Asking will fluids and paracetamol help, or what else can they use as treatment? Again, if they contact a general practitioner in regard to this, we'll make sure they're satisfied the criteria, um, and we'll be engaging with the public health people who will basically send who will engage with them and if they are tested positive they will be directed to a hospital uh, and then they will be managing that clinical situation so yes in as with any other illness it's important that you are well hydrated so drinking sufficient foods fluids eating well it's important that you take antipyretics when if you are clinically with that diagnosis in the hospital setting then you will be supported in regard to how you'll be managed but 80 percent of people are generally well to this they're mild symptoms um, and the other people will be monitored if they're outside of that 80%. Somebody else asking, as this is a new virus and we have no natural immunity, am I right in thinking if you're in contact with an infected person, you will automatically be infected? Well, the infection rate appears to be about 20%. Um, but again... Well, what, what does that mean now? That the 80% of people will not be infected. Okay. And generally, you need to be 15 minutes in the vicinity of a person within... one to two metres. Did I hear some correct me if I'm wrong, some statistic that for every one person who has the virus they will infect two more. Is Is that a guesstimate or where is that figure coming from? I don't know. Yeah, so those, so that, so that is, those are the estimates that are being made. Is that for each, for each person, um, that the kind of what we call the reproductive value is two people. Now, obviously, that is very dependent on who your contacts are and how you know how sociable you are, etc., and the kind of um, places you've been and the things that you've done and whether you've washed your hands and whether you've self-isolated. But that's the evidence from the early phases of this uh, outbreak in China. Sarah, we've had a lot of questions from people who are already sick or have compromised immune systems. This from a lady who's on chemotherapy and wondering what she can do to protect herself. Okay, so again, to come back to the the washing the hands is is absolutely key for for this lady. Um, But also to ask people who are ill to not come and not visit her and for her herself to avoid people who are unwell. Another lady asking... I've polymyalgia and I take immune suppressing medications. Am I more susceptible to the disease? Yes, probably. 
and again, the same advice would apply to this to that lady. Yeah. What we'd also say, Gavin, is for those patients who have not had their flu vaccine, who are in the high risk groups, the elderly, the people with chronic uh, medical problems, they should be getting their vaccine even at this stage. Is there a value to taking the flu vaccine? Uh, in relation to coronavirus now? No, there is no value in taking it, but a considerable number of people who will be dealing with the GP will be coming in with influenza. And some of those people will not have had the flu vaccine, even though they have been strongly advised. So this is... Even this late on in, in flu season? Even this late on. You can have influenza at any time of the year. Obviously, we're in the months when you still have it. And that still goes for the pneumococcal vaccines for the high-risk groups again. So they should be specifically dealing with your GP in regard to that to get the influenza vaccine when they're well, pneumococcal vaccine when they fit the criteria of getting that vaccine. Sarah, someone wants to know, actually quite a lot of people wanted to know, whether the virus is transmissible from or to animals like dogs, cats, birds. Okay, and we've we, we've no evidence that that is the case. So even if you're self-isolating, yeah. you can do so with your dog, can you? Yeah. <laughs> but at least there's somebody to keep you comforting. Somebody who might still like you during all this. <laughs> Could I come in on the again the, the, the message to people who are feeling feeling vulnerable? And I agree with everything that's been said. The one I'd like to throw in is, is cigarette smoking. So there's been very, very little data in the Chinese data sets about cigarette smoking. They essentially haven't asked about it. Oh. So we don't know from the data from China how smoking history or smoking affected. But we have data about other coronaviruses. So when we did the smoking ban here uh, 10 or so years ago, the, the rate of upper respiratory infections, many of which are coronaviruses, similar viruses, actually dropped dramatically in workers in restaurants and hotels and bars before, after the smoking ban. So uh, without having any solid data from China, I would predict Where there that is a higher prevalence of smoking, isn't there? Exactly. Yes. That. I, I, when we see the data, I, I would be very surprised if it's not uh, cigarette smoking over many years and even acutely that actually has a big impact on this. So there's people with chronic lung disease that are actually dying from this. So I, I would put out an anti-smoking message quite strongly. Now I'm saying this every day of my life for the last 10 and, years. And this would apply to vaping as well, yeah. Gavin. Um, Sam, you might want to take this. It's from a secondary school student who's been designated by his class to ask, how did COVID-19 start and how does it differentiate from previously known coronaviruses, okay. which would include a common cold? That, that's a, a, a great question. So the, the Chinese were able to detect this very early in January and sequenced it and released the sequence to the rest of us to look at. The genetic sequence of the genetic code of this new SARS-2 virus is about 90% the same as a bat coronavirus that's been sequenced several years ago uh, and, and is about maybe 83% similar to SARS-1. So so this is clearly uh, related to, to SARS. It's the same strain. It's almost like the first cousin or the sibling of a bat coronavirus. And, and of SARS-1. So it may have went from bats to another animal and then to humans. Bats now in China are actually hibernating, so there isn't much contact between people and bats okay. in China right now. So it may have actually spread from the bats to another vector. That's what happens in SARS-1. It went to a pussycat-like animal called a palm civet. Uh, and the palm what? A palm civet, oh. like a large cat, like okay. a lynx. Uh, this was 20, 2002, it went from bats to the palm civet and then palm civets to humans. And and there's probably some animal vector. People are looking dramatically for that, but nobody's well, yet found Before it. anybody looks suspiciously at the cat in their house, <laughs> they're not responsible this time, are they? I don't believe so. We, we don't know, actually, as Sarah answered earlier, we actually don't know how it got from uh, other species to, to us. This idea of zoonosis, of uh, transmission of diseases, you know, from animals to humans and humans to animals happens yes. a lot. During the swine flu, there were poor old herds of pigs actually caught the swine flu virus from the humans not the humans from the pigs so we do live in a one world with the animals and the humans all together and we do share our viruses now talking about sharing and, and um, Sarah we had so many questions about travel but just one of the general ones people asking about 
how it's still okay to fly given that when you're on a flight, whatever about close contact with people, and we were talking earlier on about contacting people who were uh, close by uh, the passenger coming from Italy to Belfast, you're sharing the same air for a prolonged period of time. Surely that presents an increased risk. Okay, so again, just looking at the situation in Ireland at the moment, we don't have sustained community transmission. So this virus isn't circulating in Ireland at the moment. And so there, you know, and on flights, you know, in and out of Ireland. We do know there are a number of affected areas in the world, what we're describing as affected areas, where there is sustained community transmission, mainland China being the big one, but then we've also Japan, South Korea, Singapore, uh, Iran, and then the four provinces in northern Italy. So in in terms of flights, we're, we're, adv- we're not advising any restrictions on people flying at the moment. Yeah, a lot of people asking why, for example, one question here, why we haven't blocked the countries with huge outbreaks coming into Ireland. Saudi Arabia has blocked all flights into the country. If I could just address that, I think we have to look at the economic impact of that. So in Ireland, we're a small open economy. 32 million people come through Dublin Airport last year. If we actually close Dublin Airport and close all our airports, that that has an absolutely devastating effect on our economy. This was modelled in the US in after 9-11. They found in the US about a 50% drop, 50-50% drop, drops to half of the GDP if you close the borders. In Ireland, because of the nature of our economy, which is very open, it would probably be higher than that. So while that, so that, that, that proposal of closing the airports, pulling up the drawbridge, closing the ports actually has such severe economic consequences that we would all be vastly poorer. Then we would have no resources to buy the masks and buy the oxygen and look after people. So uh, choosing poverty is not a good solution to this problem. Another, another person asking, sorry, it, it, why does, uh, what does one do if they're dependent on public transport to commute to and from work? Is it inevitable that if someone on a Lewis or a bus has it that the whole population present on that journey would be exposed and close proximity on a morning Lewis uh, well, you're very close to somebody. Anybody want to take that question? Well, I think the context is we don't have any confirmed case in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and basically, cough etiquette and respiratory hygiene has to be practiced. As we said, basically correctly coughing, coughing into your elbow, using single tissues, disposing of them, um, washing your hands, washing your hands after the toilet, washing your hands if they're dirty, washing your hands before, during and after food preparation, um, washing your hands after coughing. All of those things. We don't have it. Now, what I would say in regard to the travel is, is that the general practitioner is not the person you ring in regard to travel. The Department of Foreign Affairs, who will provide up-to-date data at all times, is the people you ring in regard to that. Because what we want to ensure is that the phone lines to general practitioners are only for clinical cases which have to be dealt with. I I know that that all three of you have prefaced the fact that there have been no confirmed cases in the Republic of Ireland, that the the virus is not currently circulating uh, at large uh, on the island. But I I presume, and to be fair to a lot of the people who are asking these questions, they're asking them in the context of what they're hearing about the inevitability of cases multiplying in Ireland. Now, we only have to look next door and see that there are 15 cases there. It hasn't multiplied perhaps as fast as people might have anticipated. But if we have one case here, I I think it's fair to say it's inevitable that we will have more, won't we? Yeah, okay. So to say, to in response to that, Gavin, to say, look, absolutely, and people are concerned and they're right to be concerned. It's, there's no doubt about that. We're not downplaying because this is a new virus. Uh, there, w- there will be individual it's, uh, impacts, social impacts, impacts on the healthcare, on the healthcare system if it comes and it does look likely that it will come to Ireland, just given our close links, particularly with Northern Italy. But we still, we have to look at our 
our own situation here in Ireland, obviously guided from the WHO and ECDC. But so currently there aren't, there isn't sustained community transmission. So what we're trying to say is right now, yes. people can go about their normal daily lives. We expect that we will have imported cases. The first cases, we will be doing very active contact tracing and attempting, if you look at countries other than Italy and what they have done up to this point, they have identified contact or they have identified cases and then they have identified contacts and they have managed to limit transmission to very few people. So that would be the aim. That is the hope. Obviously, an Italian situation may emerge. As I mentioned earlier, delay is a really, really important tactic. Even so far, we have garnered a lot of information. It's a new virus, but we have got a lot of information already. It gives us time to get prepared. It gives us time for the flu season to end. The flu season is reducing. That all improves our capacity and our ability to manage cases of this uh, when we do, when and if, or if and when we do start to get them. Um, lots of questions on travel. And uh, I, I, I know, again, going back to some of the early ones, they're very, very specific. A listener asks, my brother returned three days ago from a trip to Brazil. He went from the airport straight home to bed with flu-like symptoms. Brazil yesterday confirmed its first COVID-19 case. He called his GP and was told to self-isolate until next Tuesday, in other words, for six days. Is that enough and should he have been tested? Um, Ray, do you want to take that? Well, that doesn't fit the criteria of what the advice is there. And certainly um, they can ring the 1850 number 241850, which is the public health uh, contact number, or they can go back to the GP by phone to discuss the case. Uh, certainly it wouldn't fit the criteria for self-isolation. The person could have influenza and obviously they may be asked to uh, contain themselves to ensure that they don't go and infect all their uh, workers. Um, but basically, um, Sarah might want to come in there. Yeah, so just to say that on hse.ie we have listed those areas that I described early, areas of the world where we know there is sustained and ongoing community transmission. Brazil is not one of those. So the likelihood of somebody who has been to Brazil having been in contact with somebody with COVID-19 is minimal, you know, it's a large country. But what we are saying is that if you have come back from one of the affected areas, please do go to hse.ie. If you have come back and you have no symptoms, you may go about your normal routine. If you develop symptoms, shortness of breath, fever or cough, you need to phone your doctor, your own doctor or the emergency department. A few more minutes left. Um, several questions about rugby, uh, obviously after the cancellation of the, the match. Why cancel the Italian Six Nations rugby game but not shut down the border? The fans will still travel to Ireland on the plane, stay in the hotels in Dublin, eat and drink in the bars and restaurants in Dublin. I, I think you could make the same argument when it comes to St Patrick's Day because we've got a lot of people coming here uh, this month. Sarah, do you want to take that? Well, I mean, the the Irish-Italian match was a very particular um, situation, I suppose, where you have people coming from um, Italy, which is northern Italy, is an area that we know has sustained community t- transmission. So I think it was a very reasonable um, thing to do to cancel that, uh, that match. And you can imagine sort of people in a crowded stadium shouting and, and cheering and spreading... Um, droplets etc so I I think that was a reasonable thing to do Another person wants to know would we not want to stop the ministers from going to several several countries for St Patrick's Day? No, I, I think we should keep as much business as usual. As I said, they definitely shouldn't go to Wuhan and I don't think they should be going to Northern Italy. But if they want to go to Brazil and Washington and New York and celebrate our culture abroad, I think that's really important that they celebrate Irishness in the rest of the world. 
Um, this from an intensive care nurse. Do people need to seek help if they have cough, fever and shortness of breath or just one of these? Also, she asks that she looked up alcohol gels. Most will kill the coronavirus, but not all. It needs to be 60 to 70 percent alcohol. Um, Ray, do you want to take that? Well, again, um, in regard to the hygiene of hands, simple standard washing techniques. So you're washing for about 20 seconds. That's the length of time is singing happy birthday twice, I gather. Um, and simple, you know, ordinary washing hands is good enough. Certainly you can buy or get some alcohol rubs. Um, I can't remember the first question part of that. Oh, this was about um, the, the, the symptoms, cough, fever and shortness of breath. Do you need to have all of them or just one? Just one, but basically, again, you're satisfying the algorithm of the countries you come to or you've been in a uh, facility that dealt with patients with COVID-19 or you've been in the vicinity of somebody who is diagnosed with COVID-19. Last question. Um, any of you who wants to take this, uh, I just wanted to share with you that I find myself in the unfortunate situation of having the name Corona. I'm getting embarrassed and cautious about revealing That's my for name. Sam. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I, I, it, unfortunately, it is the case that people who look differently, maybe look from Asia, uh, have been treated very badly in some yes. cases in Ireland. And that to me is completely dysfunctional. We actually need to stick together with all of our neighbours and friends and community and folk throughout the world in, in solidarity to deal with this, not trying to isolate people based on crazy ideas. People so who I, are I think we should give Corona a hug. Have, have had a very, very difficult I time think we in should, recent We should weeks. be giving a metaphor radio hug to Corona and saying this is okay. Sarah, Sam and Ray, thank you all very much for joining us on this special online edition of Morning Ireland on RTE News Now on Twitter and on Facebook. If you missed any of this or you want to listen back, it'll be available as a podcast, a Corona cast, if you like, on our webpage and the RTE News webpage soon. Thank you all very much for listening. I'm Gavin Jennings. Good morning to you. You've been listening to Morning Ireland Extra. It's a podcast where we go deeper into some of the stories you may have heard on our daily radio programme. You can find that programme, Morning Ireland, on RTE Radio 1, on the RTE Radio Player and on the RTE News Now app. I'm Lisa Pereira. Thanks for listening. <laughs>